Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What'd you do for fun when you were a kid growing up there? I would stay up all night with my best friend so that I could go steelhead fishing, you know, before it got daylight. It was the river, the beauty, the nature, the elusiveness of steelhead, uh, the regard that other fishermen had for them. Took brains, you know, not just luck. Brandon Hubbard is a former fentanyl dealer. My name is Brandon Cord Hubbard, and I was sentenced to life in federal prison. Now serving a life sentence for money laundering and selling drugs that caused a fatal overdose. Bailey Hankey had just been found dead inside this Grand Forks apartment building. His case shed light on every link of the international fentanyl supply chain, which is why I started talking to him. Brandon is 45 now, a decade older than me. But we both grew up in the same area, a part of Washington state just north of Portland, Oregon. I wanted to know how someone like Brandon got wrapped up in a global fentanyl network. How did he end up in prison? And trying to answer that question led me to a much bigger one. How did so many Americans get so hooked on opioids? I'm Keegan Hamilton, and this is Painkiller, America's Fentanyl Crisis. Episode one, down the rabbit hole. And the jaw-dropping new numbers that show just how hard the epidemic hit the United States in such a short period of time. Even if you haven't heard of the drug fentanyl, chances are you know someone who struggled with opioid addiction or maybe even died from an overdose. Almost everyone on the team that made this podcast does. The report showing 76 billion opioid pills flooding into medicine cabinets between 2006 and 2012. Overdoses have killed over 700,000 Americans since the late 90s. Opioids account for more than half of these deaths. Inside the battle against a deadly narcotic, fentanyl is taking the opioid epidemic to a new level of urgency. They say that if you even touch it... Just a speck of it can kill you. In the news, there's a pretty simple narrative about this epidemic. It starts with doctors overprescribing pills. They're almost bribing doctors to prescribe their drugs aggressively. Then when people can't get painkillers so easily, they start doing heroin. So many of these at least new heroin addicts start off with what may be a legitimate pain pill prescription. Then comes fentanyl, which is stronger and cheaper for traffickers to make and ship. The fentanyl starts getting mixed in with heroin and other opioids, or just used on its own. 
And because it's so powerful, overdose deaths skyrocket. New CDC research shows fentanyl is now the most common drug involved in drug overdose deaths in the United States. But the reality is way more complicated. There's a lot happening in between all of those phases. To understand the opioid crisis, you have to understand why people use drugs in the first place. You have to talk to drug users and drug dealers. People like Brandon Hubbard. My dad worked in the paper mill. Brandon's family lived near a place called Camus. Growing up, people in my town called it cat piss because of the smell from a paper mill there. Uh, my grandpa worked in the paper mill. My other grandpa worked in the paper mill. My grandma at one time worked in the paper mill. My mother at one time worked in the paper mill. My stepfather at one time worked in the paper mill. Is, is that what you thought uh, your fate was going to be when you grew up? No, it definitely, it, I definitely not, was not going to do that. Brandon was a good student and a star wrestler in high school. He also experimented with drugs and made some shitty decisions. And when he's 16, he gets arrested for stealing and meth possession. Later, he enrolls in a local junior college on a wrestling scholarship, but drops out during his freshman year. And he goes to work at the paper mill, where he starts using meth again. I worked a lot of graveyard shifts, and that was the perfect solution for, you know, being up all day and then having to go to work all night. By this point, Brandon is also drinking a lot. He has no idea what he wants to do with his life. So he enlists in the Navy. He loves it and gets into an elite program. But he ends up getting kicked out because he failed to disclose his arrest from high school. That's when I decided, you know, that I was, I was going to drink. <laughs> I literally, that was my thought. I'm going to go drink and I'm just going to not stop. And that's what I did. I was 21. Brandon spends the next few years kicking around. He meets a girl and they have a kid together. And it's at this point that Brandon lands in jail for the first time after he gets into a domestic dispute. He gets out of jail a few months later. Then he heads north to Alaska, where he finds work as a commercial fisherman. He says it was like deadliest catch. As soon as you got on the boat and left the dock, you were free. Nobody could call and say, you need to do this, or, you know, there was no bills that were going to come in the mail. The job also pays really well, enough that he's sometimes going on vacation to Hawaii. And on one of these trips, he's in Maui, drinking vodka and riding bicycles with some friends. And ends up going headfirst into a guardrail. My humorous bone was sticking about three inches out of the top of my shoulder. I was bleeding pretty badly. Uh, I just, you know, closed my eyes and laid there, you know, and just waited, you know, waited for the ambulance. His right arm is paralyzed from nerve damage. And it was like every kind of pain you, you would have, whether it be crushing, shooting, burning, uh, any way you can describe it. But the pain that went with it was just made it so I couldn't function. I couldn't think about anything else, you know. Ended up switching from uh, morphine to methadone to uh, then oxycodone, oxycontin, and then they added, you know, 
uh, other breakthrough pain medications on top of it, like fentanyl, Dilaudid. After the bike accident, Brandon spends the next eight years living with his mom. He isn't able to work, so he's basically holed up in his bedroom on painkillers. Eventually, he also starts using other drugs that he buys illegally. But to get his legitimate pain meds, Brandon has to do a urine analysis, which is a pretty common way for doctors to make sure patients aren't mixing their prescribed opioids with other drugs. And in March 2013... I had to go in and take a UA, and I tested positive for meth and heroin. And I got a letter from her, like, the following week saying, you have the prescriptions that you have, and, you know, that's it. Figure it out. I know that you got to go in a few minutes, and this is sort of like a natural stopping point for us um, before we get into sort of the next chapter of your life. It's probably lunchtime for you, yeah? Yeah, my tray's tray's sitting on the table. So we're about to lock down. I don't know what time it is. All right, I'll uh, I'll let you go eat your lunch, and we'll talk again soon, okay? I'll text you with the the next time that we want to schedule this. Okay, cool. Good talk. Talking to Brandon, I keep coming back to the soggy patch of woods where we both grew up. A lot of people there did drugs. What I keep wondering is, why do some grow out of it and others end up addicted to drugs like fentanyl and even dying? People across the country, across all demographics, are asking themselves the same thing. To start with, Brandon had a lot of the most common risk factors for addiction. A family history of alcoholism, his own experience with alcohol and hard drugs, depression, an injury that causes a lot of physical pain. And so he ends up dependent on pain meds, then loses his prescription. But then something else happens. He falls in love. Okay, my name's Channing Lacey. I'm in... Wasika Federal Prison for Women in Wasika, Minnesota. I'm here for distribution resulting in death and distribution resulting in serious bodily harm. About a decade after his injury, Brandon meets Channing at a party. He's 38, she's 25. It was his friend's house, and I remember um, he was cocky as fuck. I don't think she had a place to stay. I was kind of open to just doing whatever, you know. At this point, I'd spent, like, literally the last eight years pretty much locked in my bedroom, you know, on the Internet. She was somebody that didn't really care about what other people thought, you know. She was funny. She was smart. She was not really reserved. She, you know, she liked to get high. I don't know, we were arguing about something. I don't remember what we were talking about. I think it was pain pills or some shit. And we started arguing. I was like, this dude's a fucking asshole. At one point, she borrows his iPad for a moment to check her Facebook account. She gives it back to him, then leaves. Somewhere, And then I came back to buy some heroin or something. He told me, he said, you left your Facebook up. And he goes, you know, he goes, you look pretty good. So he, he, like, he, he's, he seduced himself with your Facebook. 
pretty much. <laughs> he saw he saw what I could be. You know what I mean? I'm sure because I was dope sick at that time. I wasn't looking my best. So he saw what it looked like when I cleaned up. And he said, you can come with me for tonight, but just for tonight. So I didn't have any intentions of spending any more than one day with her. You know, and one day turned into two and turned into the four. And I just never left, you know. When they meet, Channing is addicted to heroin and Brandon to painkillers and meth. And soon, he'll start using heroin regularly, too, and introduce her to fentanyl. These are two people who, by their own admission, do not have a lot to lose and whose relationship revolves around drugs. But they're also in love. He always just wanted me to get clean because he told me he always knew I was going to do something better in my life, you know. So he went above and beyond to help me because he saw the person that nobody else saw. They need money, so Brandon takes a big risk. He starts selling heroin himself. And even riskier, he advertises heroin on Topics, a website that had local news and chat forums. And it works. He gets a bunch of new customers from the internet. Quickly, I went from, you know, three grams of heroin to 12 and a half grams, you know, to an ounce of heroin in about maybe a week and a half. It's 2013, and Brandon has just heard about Bitcoin and the Silk Road, a site on the dark web where users could anonymously buy and sell pretty much any drug. This is where he wants to operate. It just blew me away. <laughs> like, oh my, this exists for real? It was like this little hidden secret world. And all that November and December is just, you know, selling as much heroin as fast as I could and stacking as much money. To start his online dealing operation, Brandon needs a handle. So I just used the, the PDX. He picks PDX Black. Which is the... You know, Portland International Airport code, PDX, and black for black tar heroin. So, Initially, Brandon only sells black tar heroin. He sets up multiple online accounts on dark web marketplaces. My mission from the beginning was to be like a top vendor, be successful, be consistent. And so, like, getting the first package right was the most important thing. And then when it got there and they released the funds and left great feedback, I was like, well, I'm off and running. And immediately after that first sale, like I had three orders, you know, within hours. We went from having absolutely nothing to sending packages all over the world. You know what I mean? And just, it was, it just blew up. Brandon quits selling heroin on the streets soon after he makes his first online sale. In the beginning, he and Shannon go through a bunch of methods to hide the drugs during shipping. We would do, like, thank you cards and put it in, or there were these black pouches that we would go get from smoke shops. It was, like, scent proof, so in the mail, like, dogs couldn't smell it and shit. I used to lay a wet towel over the top of them and press it with an iron so that, you know, the packages were, were flat, you know, so there wasn't big chunks of heroin that you could feel through the envelope. So, literally, it was just, like, the most benign piece of regular mail is... What, what I worked out to be the best method. But he eventually realizes that the precautions aren't necessary. There's simply too much mail for the Postal Service to search every package for little baggies of heroin. On Topics, Brandon finds a dealer offering China White. It's a type of heroin typically sold on the East Coast that comes in the form of a fine white powder. Brandon orders a sample through the mail, which arrives directly from China. He can tell from the Chinese characters on the packaging. Brandon and Channing decide they're both going to try it. They each take some, 
then Brandon goes to sleep. I woke up and Channing was overdosing. Uh, she was like having a seizure, her lips were blue, she wasn't breathing. She was completely stiff as a board. And that went on for like 10 minutes. And then she came out of it, you know, I breathed for her mouth to mouth, and I was like, what, what the fuck happened? He said I looked like I was from a horror movie, and um, I wake up to everybody screaming at me, you know, and then I'm freaking out because I don't know why everybody's yelling at me. She did just a tiniest bit of that China White, and, you know, she showed me how much she did, and so I was instantly, like, scared of it. Another person who he gives the powder to also overdoses and ends up in the hospital. So Brandon starts to suspect that the drug isn't heroin at all, and he reaches out to the seller. So I emailed him again saying, you know, are you sure this isn't fentanyl? And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's what it is. Back then, in 2014, not that many people had heard of fentanyl. It was still mainly being used in hospitals as an anesthetic during surgery and as medication for people in severe pain. And remember, it only takes the tiniest bit. Dip a toothpick, you know, in the powder and then tap it off. And what comes off is, you know, uh, hopefully a 250 microgram dose, you know, because if you were to take a full milligram, kill you, literally. Fentanyl is so strong, it's measured in micrograms. That's one one millionth of a gram, the equivalent to a couple grains of salt. Just that much can cause an overdose. Like a lot of people, Brandon and Channing got into fentanyl almost accidentally, via heroin. But unlike a lot of heroin users, they love using straight fentanyl. Almost like a warm blanket coating you as comfortable as you can be. You get this, you know, euphoric feeling of happiness and content. Like, all your cares melt away, you know? It's a mental blanket as well as a warm physical feeling. It doesn't take him and Shannon long to realize how a small amount can be worth a ton of money. So the possibility that here I was getting, you know, these mysterious drugs that could potentially be you know, that valuable, sent tingles down my spine. This shit is great. You know, you buy less, and it's going to last you longer, and you're not going to have to buy as much, and you don't have to use as much because it's so strong. You know, that's like the addict mentality. Like, oh, this is some really good shit. At first, Brandon doesn't have a reliable fentanyl supplier. But then his source from Topic starts coming through, big time. He's getting packages of almost 100% pure fentanyl delivered through the mail. He's got a pipeline, and he's ready to expand his business. The problem, for him at least, is that back then, most people are ignorant to fentanyl. In his ads online, he has to explain what it is and how to use it. But by the middle of 2014, users are catching on. Brandon is selling fentanyl almost exclusively and making a lot of money. He's buying in bulk, 
paying $40 per gram and then turning around and selling that gram for $3,000. That's a profit of 7,400%. So the economics were, you know, out of this world, really. I couldn't stand getting orders for <laughs> for heroin because it was, it was a lot of work to go through, you know. Brandon is shipping over two dozen packages a day. Since fentanyl's an odorless white powder, it's perfect for shipping. He can make a lot of money, even with tiny amounts. And his operation just keeps getting bigger and bigger. If you take the biggest Ziploc bag you can find, like I'm talking one of them like freezer-sized ones, just filled with pure powdered fentanyl, kilos. I, I pretty much, you know, ruled the roost as far as fentanyl was going, I, you know, I was the most reliable, I had the best prices, I had the best product, I shipped the fastest, you know, there, there might be somebody in China who was selling grams of fentanyl for $700, but it took two weeks to get it. In early 2014, Channing tells Brandon she's pregnant with his child. He decides to start putting money away for the baby and go for one last big score. He puts in an order with his supplier for fentanyl that would be worth about $1.5 million on the street, which, if you can believe it, is just 750 grams, about a pound and a half. Channing has the baby. It's born sick with drugs in its system, so the state takes custody. Because Channing is still legally married to her previous partner, Brandon has to take a paternity test. The baby isn't his. I was devastated. And then it was relief that the baby wasn't mine. And then, you know, I just took all that, you know, emotion and was like, well, you know, fuck it. Nothing to hold me back as far as proceeding with my plan to, you know, take over the world. Brandon breaks off contact with Channing and focuses on his fentanyl business. By the end of 2014, the market is changing. His customers know what fentanyl is, and they're seeking it out. Brandon's business is thriving. Meanwhile... Overdose deaths involving fentanyl shoot up more than 95% across the United States. The word had gotten out that it was this, for the price, you know, the bang for your buck was, you know, you couldn't beat it. But eventually, he slips up. He gets into a dispute with a customer and forgets to shield his identity before logging on to check the tracking number on a package. What I didn't know is that in one of those packages that had been sent to... Grand Forks, North Dakota, in December of a gram of fentanyl, and it went to somebody who sold it to somebody who had overdosed and died. Next time, this one death sets off a whole chain of events that leads to at least 30 indictments. He's like, well, you've been indicted on a conspiracy. And helps the DEA uncover a fentanyl trafficking network that spans the globe. And then I get a piece of paper. They put me in front of the judge and I get a piece of paper saying United States of America versus Kinshwant and Brandon Hubbard. And then I don't recognize as Brandon Hubbard. Like, I have no clue who that is. Never heard of him before. I'm 18 years old and I'm thinking, like what how am i here like what where did my life go so wrong that i'm sitting in a courtroom facing the united states of america that's next time on painkiller 
Painkiller, America's Fentanyl Crisis is a Spotify original production in partnership with Vice News. It's hosted and reported by me, Keegan Hamilton. From Vice News, Jesse Alejandro Cottrell is our producer. Editing by Annie Aviles. Sound design and original scoring by Steve Bone with help from Pran Bandy. Kate Osborne and Annie Aviles are our executive producers. From Spotify, executive producers are Liz Gately and Erica Clark. Supervising producer is Jake Kleinberg. Associate producer is Baron Farmer. To see videos and photos from our reporting and go even deeper into the story, check out our website, painkiller.vice.com. If you're struggling with drug addiction and want to get help, call SAMHSA's National Helpline, 1-800-662-HELP. That's 1-800-662-4357. Or visit findtreatment.gov. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.